I have a story I want to share with you. Um, it's a story about a pastor and two realtors. And they go to this church, and it's not Pastor Don. And these two realtors and this pastor went out looking for condos recently. And they were um, at a condo, went to the top floor of a building. And when they were done, they went to the elevator and pushed the button to go to the first floor. And the elevator didn't move for a second. And then it kind of lurched. And then it went down to the first floor. And the number one started blinking in red. But the doors didn't open. And then all of a sudden, the elevator lurched. And it went up to the second floor. And the number two started blinking. And the doors didn't open. And they looked at each other nervously, giggled a little, and the lady half of the realtor couple said, oh, I'm kind of claustrophobic. And the elevator started feeling a little warm. So the pastor decided to press the button to see if we went up to the fourth or fifth floor, if the elevator might work. Pushed number four, and there was a lurch. And the elevator started moving, and it stopped at four, and the four started blinking, and the door didn't open. So the husband half of this realtor team went up to the door and began pulling on it, trying to force the door open, and the door wouldn't open. And then the three of us noticed that there was a button on the panel that said alarm, thinking it would ring a bell and the maintenance folks would come. And so we pushed the alarm button, and we heard a voice say, 911, what is your emergency? And um, the lady said, well, uh, we didn't mean to call 911. We were really hoping to just get in touch with the maintenance man, but we're stuck in an elevator, and we've been stuck for a while now because about seven or eight minutes had passed, and that feels like a long time when you're in an elevator. And she said, and we couldn't force the door open. And he said, no, no, don't do that. What you're doing is not good. It's dangerous. You could get hurt. There's electrical wires, and, or there could be an opening. Don't force the door open. I'll call the condo, and the maintenance people will get you out. And if they can't, I'll send the fire department. And the pastor immediately thought, oh, Lieutenant Severide might come and save me. It didn't happen. So... Then a voice came from up high, but it wasn't God's voice. It was the maintenance man saying, hey, is anybody in there? And we said, yeah, there's three of us in here, and we're stuck, and we're a little bit nervous. And he said, well, just relax, stay calm, I'll have you out in no time. And we didn't have much choice, because we were stuck, so we waited. And you know, in life, we all get stuck sometimes. We get stuck in insignificant ways, in traffic or in the line at the driver's license bureau. Sometimes we get stuck in more serious ways, in relationships that seem to be floundering, or in jobs where there seems to be no future or opportunity for advancement. Sometimes if we're taking classes at school or college, we're stuck in a class that we have to have for our major, and we're just not getting it, but we can't drop the class. We're stuck in it because we need it. And then sometimes there are some really life-altering, life kind of things that we get stuck in, like we get a chronic illness that we're not going to get better from, and we have to learn to live with it. 
or we get stuck in a cycle of depression or grief or hopelessness that leads us to wonder, isn't there supposed to be more than this? And when that happens, scriptures tell us we're better off if we're not alone. I'm going to read to you this morning a section of scripture from one of the wisdom literature books, the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm, but how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. You know, that scripture is often read at weddings. A reminder to the couple that two are better than one, but when God is that third strand in the cord, creates strength that's not easily broken. You know, we all need companions for our journeys. We need friends to help us get unstuck or who are with us through those stuck places in our lives. And a man named Leonard Sweet wrote a book about that. The book is called Eleven. It's not a very new book. It's been out for a while. But the subtitle is Indispensable Relationships You Can't Be Without. And I'm not going to talk about all 11 of them today, and I know that makes you happy. But I am going to talk about a few of them because there are certain people we need to have in our lives if we are to journey through the stuck places. The first couple of folks I'm going to talk about um, are Jethro and Nathan. They are who I call butt kickers. They're people in Scripture who were there to help other people live life better and do better in fulfilling their calling. Jethro, you might remember, was the father-in-law of Moses. Now Moses was a Hebrew, but he was raised in Pharaoh's household when most of the Hebrews were slaves. And there came a time one day when he saw a, one of Pharaoh's Egyptian ma- slave masters beating a Hebrew person, and he got angry and he killed the man. And when Pharaoh found out about it, eventually, Moses had to flee because Pharaoh was going to have him killed. And he fleed to the land of Midian where he met a family that had daughters. He married one of those daughters, and his father-in-law was Jethro. Now, father-in-laws are good people to be butt-kickers sometimes. They just are. And Jethro, you know, saw, saw uh, Moses kind of just settling in to be a shepherd forever, to live in the land of Midian. But after God called Moses to go lead the people out of Egypt, Jethro kind of helped him along and said, go, go and find peace. Go and do the job you're being called to do. He kind of pushed Moses along so Moses would fulfill his role. And then once Moses took that role of leadership seriously, he swung in the other direction, and he was trying to do everything himself. And that's when Jethro looked at him and said, what you are doing is not good. You need to delegate more. You're going to burn yourself out. You're not serving the people well. And we need people like Jethro. We also need people like Nathan. You might remember Nathan was a prophet who advised King David, the most 
powerful king in the world at the time. And David committed adultery, and then he conspired to have the husband of the woman who committed adultery with killed in battle. Now Nathan, the prophet, was brave enough and a good enough friend to King David that he went to him and said, God is not happy with you. You are a man who has done wrong. And as a result, David repented. And if you want to read a psalm of repentance, read Psalm 51. That is David's response to Nathan's correction. And sometimes we need people who love us enough to tell us when we're going wrong. But we also need mentors and encouragers. And if we turn to our New Testament, we find a man in, in uh, the book of Acts named Barnabas. He starts out, and we learn in um, one of the early chapters that his name was originally Joseph, but the apostles renamed him to Barnabas because Barnabas means the encourager. And Barnabas was there to encourage and to mentor someone who was actually feared by the Christian community. And I'm talking about that Pharisee named Saul. Now Saul was jealous of a young man who lived in his household named David. David who became King David. Now Saul had a son named Jonathan who loved David. And they became the kind of friends that were um, one in spirit. And so Jonathan, Jonathan said to uh, David that you are one in spirit with me. And this is how the scripture describes their relationship. Jonathan became one in spirit with David. He loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic, even his sword, his bow, and his belt. So you see, we have a whole spectrum of relationships in our lives. We have the person who kicks us in the behind when we need it. We have a person who encourages us. And then we have that soul-level friend like Jonathan was to David. But here's the thing about that type of friendship that's in the middle. You know, that encourager, that Barnabas. Sometimes what happens is they step in for us when others fear us. So let's go back to Barnabas and Saul the Pharisee. Saul had a conversion experience. Jesus met him on the road to Damascus and he was a changed man. He became a disciple of Jesus and was telling people all about Jesus and how Jesus was the way. But the other disciples didn't want to have anything to do with him because he had been persecuting Christians and they were afraid of him. And that's where this encourager mentor, Barnabas, stepped in. And he stepped in in a way that advocated and promoted Saul, who was renamed Paul. I'm speaking of the Apostle Paul, for whom our church is named and who was probably the greatest church planter of all time. What Barnabas did is he went to the other apostles in Jerusalem, and, and this is how the story goes. When Paul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul, renamed Paul, 
on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Paul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. And then the apostles sent Barnabas and Paul out together to minister in other parts of the world. And in the early chapters of Acts, we see that they're labeled as Barnabas and Paul went with him. Barnabas was the lead. But eventually their roles reversed. Barnabas stepped back a little and Paul became the one who wrote the majority of the New Testament outside of the Gospels. So Paul had an advocate and an encourager and that advocacy and encouragement changed the world. But we need all three types. The tough type, the encouraging type, and that deep friendship type like Jonathan had with David. The friend that will give you his shirt off his back. When I read that scripture to you about Jonathan David, it said he gave him his tunic and his robe. It was more than the shirt off his back. He also defied his father. King Saul, different Saul, different section of the Bible. He defied his father at risk of his own life to protect his friend David and warn David when David needed to flee because his father was going to have him killed. But you know, Jesus had those deep, intimate relationships that we need to have as well. They're the kind of relationships where the other person knows our deepest fears, our most shameful secrets, our greatest joys. They're the people who we can call in the middle of the night, people who we can be one in spirit with. For Jesus, John the Baptist was one of those friends. Now, I know that he was a cousin, but he was also a true friend. And there's one particular text in Scripture that teaches us the kind of friend that John was, John the Baptist was. So let me read that to you. This is from John chapter 3. What's going on in this section is some of John the Baptist's followers are beginning to believe that John the Baptist was the man and the way. And he had a, a big following before the day that he baptized Jesus. But this is what John told them. You yourselves can testify that I said I am not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. Now there is a real friend who loves you so much that they are willing to step back and become less so you can be all God calls you to be. We need that kind of friend, that John the Baptist kind of friend in our lives. But there was another man also named John who was a close spiritual friend, a have-your-back kind of guy for Jesus. And that was um, the disciple that is referred to in John's gospel as the disciple Jesus loved, the beloved disciple. Some scholars believe John was referring to himself as the beloved disciple when he wrote that gospel. 
So here's another man named John, who Jesus loved so much that while he was dying on a cross, he entrusted his mother to this friend's care. And this is how the story reads. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. You see, that matters. In biblical times, if a woman didn't have a male to take care of her, if she was a widow and had no son, she'd be in trouble. John was the kind of guy Jesus could trust to care for his mother. This is the friend you can entrust your children to if you're dying. And I'm glad to have a few friends like that in my life. And yes, I have called them in the middle of the night. We need people in our lives. And we needed some people in that elevator that day. Firemen didn't have to come and save us. Yes, I was the pastor in the story, and James and Sean Killebrew were the realtors. No, I didn't buy that condo. <laughs> the door was first forced open from the outside by a man of all things named John. When the door opened, it said John Maintenance on his shirt. My elevator story is only a brief little interlude. It wasn't very important. It was a misadventure. But it illustrates the point I'm trying to make. The 911 operator said, no, no, what you're doing is not good. Do not try to open that door. He kept us from harming ourselves. John, the maintenance man, said, be calm, it'll be okay, I'll have you out of there in no time. You know, Sean confessed, I'm kind of claustrophobic, but it was okay, because I was stuck in that elevator with my husband and my pastor. She was okay because she wasn't alone. You know, it's best not to be alone when we're stuck. We need butt kickers to motivate us. We need encouragers to keep us going when we're ready to quit. And we need those true friends who are there no matter what, through thick or thin, who get us even when we're at our worst. But here's the point I want you to take away. You need to have all those people in your life. That's true. But you need to be that person for other people as well. It's not a one-way street. And I left out one relationship, and we're at church on Sunday morning. You see, there's not really just 11 relationships written in this book. There's a 12th one at the end of the book. Who do you think that's with? It's with God. Leonard Sweet reminds us that that relationship with God forms the foundation for every other relationship. It doesn't mean every other relationship has to be with a believer. Sometimes people in our lives aren't. But if we have a relationship with God, that can form the basis of our other relationships. And that was that third chord in Ecclesiastes that I spoke about. Because you see, God is always available to comfort, comfort us in times of trouble. He's always available to guide us through indecision. He's always available to love us and to pour out blessing upon us. But it might feel like it doesn't happen if we're not paying any attention to God. 
God offers all this to us, but we need to say yes. You see, our human relationships are fragile. Even in the strongest of marriages, a spouse dies. A relationship with a child is broken. A friend can betray or move away. But God never leaves. God never stops loving. God never stops caring. It is the one relationship that can carry us through it all when our human relationships fail us. He's always loving us and always present. If you don't have that essential relationship in your life, don't leave here today without it. You have two pastors here at this church would be happy to help you get started if that's where you are on your faith journey. Pastor Don and I hang around after church. We'll be glad to talk with you. It's not hard. God offers all of this stuff to us, all of this goodness, all of this love, all of this blessing without price. All we have to do is say yes. If you don't have that relationship, today could be the day for that yes. What I'd like you to walk out of here today with is remembering this, this one sentence of everything else I've said. Our relationship with God is the one that redeems, restores, and renews. God is that one friend who never, ever fails. Amen?